So we're back with a repeat guest, Kurt Feldman. Hello. A friend of the show and member of the 7.6 on Pitchfork Club. <laughs> Winner of the E1 Song Contest. Yeah. <laughs> I was very honored. He had the best song in the whole bunch, and he got uh, the $10 prize. <laughs> That's right. Checks in the mail, I assume. Haven't received it yet. Yeah. Well, you just told me you moved, and I'm not going to resend it to your new address, so good luck. Yeah, yeah. That was their last check in the book, and the bank yeah. doesn't have any more. Because they're switching to digital, so. And Kurt uh, requested a check instead of digital because it sounds warmer on check. <laughs> That's true. Money, yeah, sounds, money warmer sounds warmer on, warmer on, check. on check, dude. I guess old people do say that when they're like a cashless society. I want to have a freaking dollar bill. Like, shut up. <laughs> Dumbass. Old ass. You know what I just realized? I have no idea why I thought of this. You know the heat miser from the night or the year that there was no Christmas or whatever? The I guess. puppet? You're not yeah, the heat miser? Sure. Yeah, I do remember. That. Yeah, I've, Why heard is he hot? I've heard of this guy. He should be cold because he's a miser for heat. He should be not wanting yeah, to give heat stingy. to anyone else. Yeah, you're right. He should be stingy for heat, but he's not. He's generous with heat. And it's bullshit. Again, I don't know why I thought of that. I mean, I guess it's music related, technically. There are songs in that film. Elliot Smith was a huge fan of that movie. It was his favorite movie, and he watched it every day. That's why he named yeah, his band right. after it. That's why he was so sad. That's why he was so sad, yeah, because he didn't... He actually killed himself because he didn't get to live in that Christmas movie. Like the people who saw Avatar and killed themselves because they could never be blue. <laughs> Has that actually happened? Nothing. Have people done that? Yeah. Yeah, it was like, oh, a, like an uh, epidemic of people's dads. They would go see Avatar, and they would come back and be like, I want to live in that world. And they would never be the same. There's like a thousand video games with way more interesting worlds than Avatar. They're it's not even true. setting their sights high enough. I think people who play games a lot are probably more immune to that. Yeah. Like when Avatar 2 comes out, I don't think there are going to be people who have like played Grand Theft Auto for 12,000 hours who are like, oh my God, I want to live in this world. <laughs> because it's just another one of the worlds. But if you're an old guy and you see that for the first time, you're like, oh my God. Dude, I'm depressed because I want to live in GTA 3. Just like a super pixelated, violent, lawless world. I want to live in GTA 1. I want to be 2D, top down, bird's eye view. Yeah. I want to live in GTA, the uh, England expansion pack. <laughs> <laughs> you got probably never played that one <laughs> it's like the first game no i haven't here's a segue well one thing that peaked in the 90s was the grand theft auto series but another was the band weezer yeah we got to follow up since we talked about them so much recently there's a, a new story that they had to cancel their broadway residency due to low ticket sales and unbelievably high expenses but I think their mistake is whenever you think about a rock band that's done a Broadway residency, they're always doing it off like a smash hit album, right? Like say what you will about American Idiot, but it sold millions of copies. And it was, it made sense that Green Day would do an American Idiot Broadway thing because there's so many people that would come, right? But Weezer's doing their Broadway residency based off of their season's EPs. They and misunderstood what they were doing apparently. Because the whole thing is about Vivaldi, but they're doing it on they're doing it on Broadway. On Broadway. <laughs> yeah, what the fuck? Like, what do you think this is? 
do it at the symphony. That's a good point. It just doesn't make any sense fundamentally. Why would you do that in Broadway? Like I, it's I guess like it's a already been musical done, theater, which should be like a point toward it. That Metallica did the album with the orchestra, and it kind of sucked. But like, that's a pretty normal thing. If you're doing Vivaldi, why don't you get a Baroque orchestra and have them play on it? Why are you trying to do a Broadway show for the yeah. Seasons <laughs> Project? Yeah, it's like the stuff no one's heard because it's like two EPs. Only two of them are out so far. So, like, if people are waiting for the whole thing to come out, they don't even know what this is. Yeah, here's the thing, though. I want to I want to hear the world premiere of the Winter EP by going to the Broadway residency. What if it's yeah, super They're going to play the new material. Yeah. What if the Winter one is black metal? <laughs> what if it sounds like Burzum and it's about, like, uh, bleak forests and stuff? That would be pretty sick. Uh, for the Winter one? What, what do you call it? Um, is it Chef's Table? on Netflix that uses uh, Vivaldi also as like the intro theme when they put out the winter one, they should just have footage of chef's table going behind them as they play the songs. They should. Holy shit. I'm looking at the play count right now. It's, this is bad for Weezer. Like the, the lowest play counter here, 478,000 plays. That's pretty bad. I could see why this got canceled. Yeah. Yeah. I see what you're saying. If you look at their like most listened songs versus what's on those EPs. Yeah. It's like, a fraction of a percent. You know? We talked about it on the last one, but if people don't know, these are basically just regular Weezer EPs of modern day Weezer songs, but there's like 10 seconds at the beginning of Vivaldi. It's, um, the concept is a little bit thin. Yeah. It's just Weezer albums that no one really wants to listen to because they're EPs and they're about the seasons. And like, do I really want to listen to the summer one right now? I certainly don't want to listen to the spring one right now. Like maybe I might want to listen to the winter one in the in the summer. But because they're so gen- like besides like one song per EP, they're so generically Weezer, none of them have the feel of any season really. <laughs> yeah, you could switch them around. They should let you make your own. That would be a good gimmick if they give you an album of like 40 tracks and you have to split them into seasons. <laughs> It'd be like a Rorscotch test. It's just asking yeah, what is, the, the fans to do a chore. What is well, the sound of drums? What does that have to do with spring? That's one of those track titles on spring. Oh, it has nothing to do with spring. Hmm. Well, you hear drums in spring. <laughs> yeah, you hear true. them in other seasons too, but you do hear them in spring. Like I guess some of the other titles. You got that Shakespeare one, opening night. and then The Garden of the Eden. Gar- Garden of Eden. Yeah, sure. Okay. You lost yeah. me at the sound of drums. Can we really say that the Garden of Eden story happened in spring? I know that I gardens say, make you think of spring, but that could have happened at any time of year. I mean, it's in a very like warm climate, you know? Yeah. It's not really supposed to be in a season. It was sort of an eternal state, I think. It's supposed to represent like the hunter-gatherer lifestyle, like the pre-civilization thing. Yeah, yeah. I think. Like, who knows Which what only those happened people were in spring. thinking of. Yeah, that only happened in spring, but it was, yeah, it was a uh, Hunter gatherers were like bears, but they would just years. hibernate for most of the year. Guys, I'll be honest. I fell off with Weezer for a real long time, but I'm like just flipping through the, the singles on Spotify right now, and there's some insane shit that I had no idea exists. Not only, okay, I mean, obviously everybody's heard the fucking Africa cover, but are you yeah. aware that there's a, a remix of their cover of Africa? Like, wh- why no. does that exist? <laughs> RAC Africa RAC remix. 
And then they also did Rosanna. I guess that wasn't, <laughs> that wasn't enough, Toto. It is a better song. <laughs> it's so a funny. better song than Africa. It is a better going song Going back than Africa, to that well. Sure. <laughs> yeah, like the Africa cover isn't even interesting. It just sounds exactly like the original, which is like the best studio musicians in the world at that time. Like I think all at the peak of their powers, and then they just turn yeah, up absolutely. the distortion a little bit and have Rivers Cuomo sing it and put brick wall limiting on it, and it just sounds a little bit worse than the original. I think it sounds a lot worse. <laughs> Both of those, probably. I'm, yeah, I'm, I, I'm going to verify this. is. I mean, I'm not going to argue with you about it. Alex is being generous, I think. I'm so being yeah, generous. We feel bad. Yeah. We've said so many bad things about this band, even though we like some of their songs, but they just make it so easy that we can't resist it sometimes. We were talking about the cover album. It's so insane because they only pick like songs that would be on the top 10 hits of the 80s of all time. Yeah. It's like stuff that would, yeah, like a, a CD that your mom would buy at Walgreens and it has 10 songs on it from the 80s. And like certain bands are missing. It's like Take On Me, Sweet Dreams Are Made of This, like Billie Jean. Really? It's, like, it's even, all very shameless. I think Puddle They're, of Mud, yeah, when Puddle of Mud made their cover album they chose deeper tracks they did like <laughs> acdc and shit i think that might be the last released puddle of mud album <laughs> it's like 2006 what a way to go out yeah i'm surprised that weezer didn't do like the beatles yesterday on there or something <laughs> they never do beatles that's interesting they actually didn't do beach boys either they did happy together by the turtles I guess that's more like the Rivers Cuomo brand. They're like two separate brands where there's like the Beach Boys brand that Rivers does on his solo albums. And then on Weezer, which is not a different band. It's the same thing. He doesn't do that stuff. He like cleans it up. um, It's just, it's so confusing. It's such a confusing brand where like sometimes they're this like mainstream rock outfit and sometimes they're this like uh, esoteric uh, self-aware band that's like wears their influences on their sleeve but then they think they're like an arena rock group again and then they think they're doing a seasons EP thing and they're doing it on Broadway like they need a manager to just tell them it's you got to do one thing here I've straight up never listened to one Rivers Cuomo album and I I'm just looked it up on Spotify and I, I see he has three full albums <laughs> It's just demos. He has probably more oh, than okay. that because he also has Japanese language ones that aren't very good. Yeah, oh, <laughs> he did one in Japanese. And we were wondering, like, uh, if you didn't hear the lyrics, would you like it more? And I think yeah, it's that's about why the I same. listened to it. Because, yeah, I was like, oh, maybe I'll think it's better if I can't hear as easily what he's saying. But then it's just like, nah, it's just not good. Um, I was trying to think, okay, so... What would it take to make a successful Weezer Broadway performance? It would have to just mash together Blue Album songs and Pinkerton songs about a guy who looks just like Buddy Holly. And then the the early songs are the fun ones like that. And then he gets depressed and it gets into the Pinkerton stuff. And then he can do Say It Ain't So also when he's talking about alcoholism because he's all sad, you know? You know what they should do? They should just cover Madame Butterfly. Uh, yeah, I was just thinking that. Why don't you just cover the whole thing? Just have the band. It would be do a lot it. more creative. Have Rivers and, yeah. sing Pinkerton, and then right, yeah, yeah, just do the Pinkerton. san can be, I don't know, me. I'll do it. That is like very interesting. Of it's something that they would do, but by being bold enough to do it, you'd be like, okay, let's see where this goes. That is a, a genuinely interesting path for them. 
Yeah, that's it's like they made an album that was a concept album based on an opera. And then they go to Broadway, and instead of doing that, they do the Seasons EP. <laughs> Why don't you do the opera album? Like, if they really leaned into that, I guess the time has passed for that, because they had, like, the, the Pinkerton um, the re-release, which had Tragic Girl on it, which is their best song by far, never released before then. Um, like, that would have been the time to do it, and when he came out with the Pinkerton Diaries, maybe you could have got us like a stage sung through musical about that, about like his depression or whatever, but probably not now. Even then, I don't know if people would, would have been that interested in like the Rivers Cuomo story about how he went to Harvard and got depressed. But that <laughs> would be, to, that's the closest thing a... you could find to like actual drama, not just it's spring, now it's summer, now it's yeah, fall. Yeah, exactly. No, now it's winter, no. Well, I was thinking to keep the, to keep the Weezer Broadway show more lively, there should be a scene where he goes into a head shop and they do hash pipe. <laughs> yeah, that would be it's on awesome. on the campus at Harvard or something. And then he buys some Coke and they play Dope Nose. Yeah. That's all about him buying drugs on the Santa Monica Pier. And then the part in hash pipe where he's talking about sucking dick, he can have, uh, su he could suck a dick. And then also the part <laughs> in pink triangle where he says, I might've smoked a few in my time. Uh, we can show him sucking dick in college and not liking it that much. <laughs> I think this could be a really good musical. Yeah. We should put on our own Weezer musical. Yeah. And it's got like uh, <laughs> full frontal nudity in it. <laughs> the unlicensed Weezer musical. If we get Broadway. a really big, well, there's the thing. If we get a big actor who's well known to play Rivers, and he has a clause in his contract like I won't suck dick in this play, we're gonna have to get like a stunt <laughs> double to do that scene. Yeah, that's the problem. What if their show was off Broadway and ours was on Broadway? <laughs> he would have no recourse. Oh, we gotta we gotta have to negotiate to get their co their catalog from them though. Oh, wait a minute, if they won't let us have disco. their catalog. We're gonna have to write some knockoff songs instead. Oh yeah, that would be really hard. Some uh, four power chord Weezer songs. Yeah, you just gotta put the fifth beneath the root and uh, just crank it up. I bet I could write the Green album in um, how long is it? Thirty minutes. Yeah, maybe a little longer than that. I could do it in 45, I think. I believe you. I feel like you have like a good melodic sensibility and the whole album is just plug it in like, you know, it's every song is the exact same structure, so you could probably do that pretty quick. That's what he was doing too. He was like, "I wonder if I can write a Weezer album in 1 hour." And then That's he actually did kind it. of fun. We should actually do something like that at some point. Yeah. Kind of I thought the same about way doing that with ACDC. It'd be kind of fun. Yeah. Like, I know Tim Heidecker did that, where he made the fake Bob Dylan song for the Super Bowl, and it yeah. sounded like Bob Dylan. But it would be fun to do that with ACDC, with a, a full ACDC album that sounds like them and convinces people. And then, yeah. it, it, like, they <laughs> have to make a statement, like, this is not our album. We don't know what this is. The band's official Discord server. That's I know, where Kurt, they Kurt, what would you, if there's one band this. that you would do that with, what would it be? Make a full fake album about? Yeah. Like, that would be the most effortless for you that would take no thought, you know? Oh, man. I don't know. It's like, have you guys ever heard, you know, did you ever watch Syphil and Ollie? That show? I don't think no, I'm so. I'm aware of it, but I didn't it really like watch it. It was like a late 90s, like, puppet show on MTV. Anyway, one of the guys, Liam Lynch, did a full album of, like, just fake songs called fake songs. 
And uh, the one that always stood out to me, the David Bowie one was really funny. And the Pixies one was was pretty spot on as well. Um, I don't know. I don't, I don't really like, I think it would be hard for me to, to, to write like a, a fake album, especially in an hour. I would definitely would not be able to well, do that. Well, in an hour, okay, we're like exaggerating a bit, but uh, I feel like you'd be good at it though. I guess maybe that's a kind of a segue into the E1 uh, boy band thing. Because I feel like you're good at when we ask you to do stuff for E1, you can get the aesthetic of something pretty well. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, rip, ripping off. Uh, you know, if you if you have like a, a specific reference point for certain things, it's it's not it's not terribly difficult to like rip off uh, a style or whatever. Yeah, I guess that's what we're getting band. at with some talking about bands like Weezer and ACDC is that they have literally one sound they like almost never deviate from. So it really is just like crank the amp to these settings play your power chords with a fifth below it and then everything that's it you know octaves on the second guitar yeah i love when there's a band that tries to sound like acdc like there was that band i think they were called airborne they came out of australia and they just sounded exactly like acdc including the singer and it's like of all the bands who like totally fleshed out their sound like they they discovered every crevice of that sound and what you can do with it. It's ACDC. Like, they uh, they mapped the entire globe. There are no more songs to be found there. With local bands, I feel like that happens pretty often, where there'll be a band that's just, like, exactly pavement or something. And then Joel's joke is always, like, uh, having the balls to go up to them after the set and be like, man, you guys are great. You should check out Pavement. You ever heard of them? You guys wearing a pavement <laughs> shirt. Yeah, <laughs> I did that. No, to they would Steven never Malpass do that. In the if they're ripping them off so too hard, then they would pretend like they're not really fans of that band. You know what I mean? Oh, that's true. Yeah, like if you sound exactly like Joy Division, then you're gonna be like, "Yeah, I listen to them a little, but they're not that good." I did that to New Order. I trolled yeah. them by going up to them after the show and saying, "You guys should check out New Order." Yeah, you guys should check out Joy Division. <laughs> New Order. Peter Hook punched me in the face. That's why they call him Peter Hook. I I said, "Where is that guy who was up there dancing?" Where's the guy? There's a guy who was flailing around. Where'd he go? <laughs> this was New Order's first show. They didn't like me. I was two. No, you weren't. I was actually negative nine. <laughs> Which is what that weirded them out for sure. All right, but yeah, maybe we should uh, start getting into the E1 thing. Um, sexy new guys. The sexy new guys. I mean, we could talk about some other ones too, but that's the main one we should talk about. I remember, like, we had this idea. It took like a year for us to actually get around to it. Cause I remember Kurt, you had already made like the outline of the beat last time we were in New York, like a year ago. <laughs> Holy um, shit. Yeah, you're right. And then we just kind of sat on it. It was one of those things where like we had a few ideas for what it could be, but they weren't that good. And it just needed to like coalesce. We finally just like sat down with it and, and like figured out what the song's going to be about, you know? Um, yeah. I remember you had like hit me up, I think probably about it. It was over a year ago. And you said, yeah, we want to do a boy band song. <laughs> I was like, okay, let me, let me work on something. And, it might've uh, actually, I, I'm, I'm trying to remember, but it might've actually started with me talking to Mike Hale from your Kickstarter sucks. Cause okay. he had wanted for a long time to do a song. And I was like, yeah, we got to do that. And I think the funniest thing to put him on is a boy band song. And like it seemed in in retrospect, it looks like we did it around Nate, but I think we actually did it around Mike Hale, just being like, I want to hear him on this type of song. And then it just made sense to have Nate be on it too, because it's really funny to put him on a track with like Branson and shit. Nate did sound completely natural on that demo. The one where he's singing the whole thing. 
He sounds like he was oh, meant yeah. to do that. That was a that was definitely a pretty solid version of just just hearing Nate over the track, but yeah. I I don't think I don't think Nate was like involved in the original concept of the song. It was more yeah, like I don't think I, so either. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember Charles. Yeah, he didn't know like, it was hey. a joke. That's like the kind of stuff he thinks is cool to sing about. <laughs> uh, but yeah, you. I remember you said. Uh, let's do a boy band song. And I was like, just the concept of Branson and also Andrew singing that, but just Branson in particular, like, I was like, yeah, this is going to be incredible. Um, and I think like that demo, I remember I sent you something when, when you guys were in New York. So I had like already worked on it for like a couple days or something. And it was a super rough demo. And I think I like put together the skeleton of the song in like, I don't know, a couple hours or something. And like, uh, I had played it for you guys with like some weird keyboard sound over. And then I think Charles, you just started working on lyrics after that, but we didn't actually end up really earnestly like working on that song until like, I don't know, eight or nine months later, probably. Yeah, exactly. Like it just kind of sat around for almost a year. And then we had the moment where we're like, okay, we want to do this. And from my perspective, it was kind of just having an episode to fit it into where I was the one who wanted to do the SNL episode it was one of those episodes where like, I'm pushing for it, where I'm like, everyone else has to do this at my behest, kind of. It felt but like it a ended Charles up being episode. One that we all, yeah, exactly. But it ended up being one we all liked a lot, though, because it turned out well. What was it called? Yeah, silly Fun Time? Oh, Silly Night Fun Time in New York, yeah. Silly Night Fun Time in New York. One of the lyrical things that I like in the Sexy New Guys song is the fact that they're back, but they're new. That was, yeah. Like, which I assume must be a reference to the Backstreet Boys, like the rollout where they were like, an American band that had their first album, Europe Only, and then their first single in America was called Backstreet's, Backstreet's Back. Yeah, that's exactly what I was thinking. Is like trying to, like, that was another reason why we waited a long time on it, is that the concept, we, I think the original concept I had was kind of lazy of just trying to do something with the E1 trope of feeling good all the time. But we needed something more specific. And that's exactly what I was thinking, is that like so many people, the first song they heard by Backstreet Boys was that they're back. So it's funny to be the new guys... And also Branson had the idea of just like, whenever it comes to pop stars, there's always a new one. You know, it's like, have you seen a new guy? It's basically just, they're all the same and you just cycle through the new guy. Oh, there's a new guy. Did you hear about him? Yeah. Right now it's Justin Bieber. Yeah. I, I don't know if he's a guy. He's more of a girl. If you ask me, I call him Justin Justine Bieber. Bieber. But yeah, I think once we had like a vague and simple, con like clean, simple concept, me and Branson and Andrew just bang those lyrics out in like, you know, an hour tops or whatever. Yeah, I I remember definitely like for as far as as far as like the musical references went for that one. Um Backstreet's Back was for sure one of them, but I think the main one was uh was Larger Than Life. I just kind of like listened to, you know, the the individual sounds of that one in particular and just kind of like tried to hone in on what they were what they were doing with that. Yeah. Also just like structurally, it's like pretty much one-to-one -one maps to that song yeah i remember structurally too the only thing that you added toward the very end was that intro which was just a great idea musically that's not even like a joke it's just like good vocal harmonies to begin the song you know yeah there was it was a it was a bit of like a diversion from the, the <laughs> original formula yeah that actually wasn't part of the song but it, i don't know it just needed something it just needed yeah, something yeah. to kind of like bring it together uh and kind of lead into that section. Like the way I remember the demo that I had sent you, it just starts off like 
you know, it started off just, we're popping up. And there was like this, <laughs> there was like this anacrusis that started with the vocal and it just didn't work. And I was like, okay, I kind of have to like write a section before this to get that to, to gel. Yeah. Yeah. Right no, away. I think it turned out like the best way it could. Yeah. It was like, it's basically that harmony thing is just like a heavily embellished version of like the kind of pre-verse that happens after the first chorus. That's all that is. It's just like, oh, okay. it's basically that, it's like that little vamp, but there's like a, a like an elaborate kind of harmony thing, which does like yeah, a bunch just of stacks and stacks. chromatic bullshit on there. But yeah, it's, it's yeah. kind of Actually, kinda that's funny. a good thing to get into that uh, like Max Martin, especially in that era, is so much more like chromatic than you would expect for mainstream pop. Like me and Alex talked about it on the episode we did about boy bands, but he's like a genuinely interesting songwriter as like pop songwriters go. Yeah, definitely. And in the late nineties, he was willing to do just weirder chromatic shit that feels stranger than most like boy bands, I guess. Yeah. Those chord changes, you don't see them come up too much anymore unless they're in a sample. Like even from him, like, is uh, 2000s and 2010 stuff. It's more anonymous sounding, I think. Yeah, I'd agree. Yeah, with that. yeah, um, I, yeah. I I, th- I think there's definitely like there's some definitely uh, kind of interesting harmonies that 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 they like kind of fill out the chords with. So that was like a big you know kind of reference for uh, sexy new guys track. Um, I think like I don't know. It is chromatic in some ways. A lot of the chords like are just simple kind of like diatonic, you know pop chord stuff but they're like filled yeah. out in an interesting way you know that's like yeah i would i think to me uh, that stuff comes through learned. in like the riffs like the one that's like we've got it going on by backstreet boys it's like an early one of theirs that's like oh yeah, yeah, yeah like that one's kind of just unexpected for that genre i think yeah, there's definitely a lot of that, like, kind of like sassy, sort of like blues riffing that they do. Yeah, and, yeah, like, I guess that, that's, that's a good point. Like, those little half step movements going yeah, along with yeah. like the bluesy thing. Yeah. Yeah, totally. That that was like kind of a funny reference point because, like, I never do that stuff. Or if I do, it's like kind of a, a it's like a sort of goofy, like, reference, sort of passing tone thing. But, like, yeah, Backstreet Boys like leans into it a lot, or Max Martin leans, and Dennis Pop and all those guys, like, whatever. They, they, they lean into that, like, really really heavily um and it's like a funny like kind of like american blues thing <laughs> that like by way of like sweden or whatever yeah totally um, it's, it's, so it's like especially goofy especially it's especially goofy with the sounds that they use and that was like another big reference point um uh for this one like there's just like wah on everything and <laughs> to kind of like make sexy new guys like even more cartoonish I like made it a point to put a filter or a wah on like almost everything. Um, yeah, that's so great. that was like one of like the musical punchlines that kind of like used uh, for that. Like a lot of the sounds are pretty like, you know, standard, like there's some goofy, like slap bass kind of synth stuff. And then there's like, you know, whatever, but all of the keyboard sounds, like the, there was like a road sound. I remember there was like a Wurlitzer. They all have, <laughs> they all have like, uh, or a clav and there's like all of that has like wah on it. And, and then all the guitars have wah on it too. Yeah. I was going to say the guitars are another thing you added toward the end that really like made it shine more. Cause the guitar playing so annoying and stupid. Oh God. Yeah, the shredding yeah. is awesome. Yeah. I, I, I you kind of just like have to picture like the guy, like the session guy that they hired who's like in his forties, yeah. <laughs> like who shows up with the PRS, you know, and totally. I don't have that. So I had to like really like, 
try to dial in that tone using guitar rig. Get those chunky and, uh, mids. Yeah, it's just, it's like the most disgusting sound <laughs> what possible. Amped, you're totally right, though. Rig. Yeah, the guy in his 40s that shows up with the Paul Reed Smith is so funny, dude. Like, <laughs> That's like, yeah, it's like the exact, like, I was trying to like just tap into that guy. Um, and I don't know. I, I think it was like, I was, I was like laughing at the end. So I think it was like successful. No, it that, was. Yeah. I, me, when I first heard the guitar part, I was losing it. Yeah. It was like, so I kind of had to reference like, you know, Backstreet Boys. I realized when I was like, really like digging in, there's so much shit going on, obviously, but yeah. like, you don't even realize it sometimes, but like, there's like an annoying guitar solo like happening underneath the vocals for no reason. It's like the vocals <laughs> happening. It's like, but that's like such a funny move. You know, I, I'm trying to like imagine. You don't need it. Like, like it's two leads at once. <laughs> it's just like so annoying. I'm you know, it's like such an annoying, that? funny thing. You know who liked doing that? Santana. That oh yeah, whole totally. Santana album was just him yeah. doing these shitty noodly leads over a different. But I know song. why that happened with Santana is that that's his actual thing, and it's the one thing he's like a pro at. And then he wanted to do the pop album with all these pop singers, where there's not enough space for solos because for pop music you can't leave that long of a stretch with no like vocal because it's trying to be really immediate. So it's like, what if I just shred underneath these vocals? It's just, it's funnier <laughs> for that to happen with Backstreet Boys because they could just take the solo out, you know? Yeah, and the yeah, guitarist absolutely. is not in the name of the album. Yeah, exactly. Like Santana's got to find something to do on those songs, but why is it in the Backstreet Boys song? Because they're Backstreet Boys. Well, you want a good boy? They're bad boys. Like they say in their song, if you want to be a good girl, get yourself a bad boy. It's good advice. For any good girls listening. They were so bad. These like 16-year-old kids from Florida who are in the Mickey Mouse Club. They're so bad. Yeah, wearing wearing jean jackets that are like eight sizes too big because it was the late 90s. <laughs> I guess Nick Carter is pretty bad, but... Yeah. <laughs> he didn't do that stuff until after. Yeah, not in a cute way. <laughs> no. I went on a, a Nick Carter like YouTube rabbit hole kind of recently. How's I just he watched doing? like horrible oh that's too bad i watched like hour-long interviews with him and uh, the guy from no jumper or whatever adam 20 what whatever, adam 22, 22. Yeah. adam 22, 22 yeah that's a great guy to get your allegations to go away being seen with him <laughs> yeah exactly oh yeah I, I guess it was funny that um when me and alex had done that boy band episode and we found that max martin was using the Korg triton all the time it was like all the things that we had figured out there were all the things that you had just assumed naturally when you started putting that beat together. Yeah, it's true. I mean, that the the drums that I kind of defaulted to on that track when I was doing the sketch and, and those ended up in the, the final thing was actually Cork Triton. I have like a whole bunch of those, you know, 90s and 80s samples and I pulled that up. I was like, you know what? These guys were probably writing on some kind of stupid workstation. I'll just like, you know, Cork Triton or like a Phantom or something. And I was just like, okay, Cork Triton. Yeah, this sounds pretty close. And then I looked it up later on the internet. I was like, what are the, what are the Backstreet Boys actually use it? <laughs> and somebody yeah, said exactly. it was a Cork Triton. <laughs> so it, it was is, actually. Uh, but it's to Max Martin's credit that he could just use the most obvious thing you would expect him to use and just crank out hits. You know, it's like, it proves that you don't, you like musicians love to fret about gear. But it's like, you don't really need anything specifically. You can use kind of whatever, you know? Yeah, I mean, like, the stock Aiken Waterman, like, they had the same exact formula. They had, like, a template for every song. Like, those guys, I mean, when you're writing pop hits, like, if you know how to write the pop song, it's like, it takes 
it just takes one element out of it. You know what I mean? It's like, yeah, yeah. You can just, you can just go to your like default sounds. Stock Egg and Waterman, they had like, you know, DX7 octave bass, and it was just like the same exact whatever Elisa's drums sound for like every single song. All their songs sound exactly the same, and you could instantly tell that they produced it. So I don't know. Yeah, I guess like Max Martin, Dennis Pop, they probably had their little templates as well on, on that. And also, if you're using a Triton, it's got all the sounds built in. It's like you can even be more lazy than, than normal. It's like you just hit your presets on the keyboard. That's true. Yeah. It's got just, drums. It's, it's got drums. It's got bass. It's got the it's got yeah. the the wah clav. It's got the roads. That's all you need. Yeah. Man, Aaron Carter got fired from a nude Las Vegas show because he wouldn't get vaccinated. <laughs> wow that was a year ago and That's that was incredible. the last thing he did definitely recommend watching those interviews by the way god like <laughs> i remember aaron Car- this is obviously more years ago but i remember him touring malls which makes sense but very funny circuit to wind up on <laughs> yeah that was uh probably the last gasp of that i remember tiffany yeah invented that like the mall tour back when malls were really popping off but yeah, that would be probably the last time that happened. It would be funny to do a mall tour. Though. Yeah, we <laughs> yeah, should go to empty exactly. malls where it's like one Spencer's <laughs> Gifts and then one Jamba Juice and the rest is empty storefronts. Yeah. Just a guy like mopping the floor. That's the only person you see. And then we'll a call band. it like janitor core. If we want to build uh, an audience of janitors, that's the place to be. Wait, were you guys, were you guys talking about Aaron or Nick Carter? Oh, that's Aaron Carter, not Nick Carter. Yeah, both oh, okay, of them, yeah. I guess. They're both uh, insane. Well, Aaron is Aaron is the one who was on No Jumper. He's oh, he okay. was. Uh, oh, okay. Sorry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's uh, sorry if I me- messed up their names or whatever. Um, You're forgiven. Yeah, that's the real Backstreet Carter Boys. family. Fuck the one Johnny Cash was talking about. Yeah, <laughs> but Backstreet Boys occasionally reunite, don't they? Do they? Yeah, I don't uh, know if they if they have the whole lineup with them or whatever. Now we're just going into the kind of territory where it's like, do I really want to look this up? I don't care. <laughs> I don't give a shit. I don't like how those blonde guys look when they get older. They look scary. They look like Nazis. I feel like blonde guys who start getting older should have to use like just for men to give themselves like darker hair. Yeah, you should have to dye your hair. Like I don't like adult Nick Carter. Ladies, if he, your man I don't is really pushing like forty any of the and he's adult blonde. He needs to dye his hair. How did they find such weird-looking guys? Like both the Backstreet Boys and NSYNC. Like that's what I love about the. Um, they weren't able to the, get too many normal guys out of there. Out of those two. The bands. We Got It Going On video, since it's from like the beginning of their career before they were considered cool. I love that video because they all just look like such dweebs. They're just wearing these giant baggy clothes. They're just a bunch of dorks trying to do like synchronized layups together or like uh, free throws or some shit. I don't know what they're trying to do. <laughs> oh, I know this video. <laughs> yeah, it's so funny, man. Like these guys are just objectively lame as fuck. And you got to give them credit, I guess, for making themselves somehow cool, you know? I watched the uh, the Larger Than Life video like probably 20 times because <laughs> I had the YouTube video up just referencing it. Yeah. Like little elements. And there's so many funny little details about that video that you kind of don't really notice unless you're, you're really like zoomed in on it. Like they're like, there's some scene where they're, they're like floating, they're like surfing through space 
And he's, they're just like standing on like wakeboards that have been like painted silver or some shit. And it's like so, so like hilariously CGI'd and green screen. It looks like yeah, a PlayStation 2 game. Like, it's one it's one incredible. It's expensive videos ever. Yeah, for, yeah, its for time, sure. It's like, it would wow, probably this cost is so like, crazy. You could probably get it made on Fiverr now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And they would give you a partial refund. Yeah. Sorry the spaceship <laughs> looked too shitty. For you. <laughs> the spacesuit we put Nick Carter in, it just didn't look good enough. And we, we don't we don't really want to charge you for that. Yeah, that is one of my regrets is I really did want to do a music video for the E1 boy band thing. But it was like, if we were going to do it, it was going to have to be in LA while we were there. And no one wanted to do it as much as I did. And once we were there, I'm kind of glad we didn't just because it was like we had enough other shit to be thinking about. But if we had, I mean, we really should have, but it's like, whatever. We could still do something like that in the future. I think making a bad music video is really funny. You got to do one with a spaceship. Oh, this is, yeah. I'm watching this now. <laughs> I'm skipping around it. It's so awesome. Like the, the dancing and like the shots of the spaceship from outside and like them trying to do like fake technology where they're like pressing buttons in the air. <laughs> yeah. They're all like different characters in the Star Wars thing. And then like their like spaceship explodes at the end. So awesome. I thought it was sick when I was a kid. And the song, too. I remember when that song first came out, and it was like, finally, a Backstreet Boys song that's not gay. Because <laughs> it's rock. That was my thought when I was uh, six. <laughs> yeah, that one, that one is very over the top. I'm, I'm like significantly older than you, Alex. So I re- when I was, I don't know, I was probably like in eighth grade or something when that came out. And it was, I mean... T- to to be a guy in like whatever 1998 and like Backstreet Boys was absolutely forbidden. Oh, they would execute but, you on the spot. Yeah, I would. Yeah, I would have. I mean, you know, you just want to like listen to guitar music at that point, but uh, it's got to have distorted guitars in it. I guess that song technically did, but you would. And it, and it, there are so many cool things about that about that track. Actually, they're like legitimately like cool production. Yeah, absolutely. little tricks that they do. But you would, I would have been shot dead if i had ever admitted that's a great point of like in the late 90s with the boy band phenomenon it was like implied that you had to have a crush on one of them or something you know like every girl had to have which one she liked in the band so that's why like men were or boys were forbidden to like them it's like oh you gay or something dude (laughs) no i'm not gay Uh, my favorite one is kevin but it's only because i have to pick one they make you pick one i don't actually like the same culture four guys with like new metal where every guy had to choose which member of Limp Biscuit that they were into the most. <laughs> it's gotta yeah, be DJ the guitarist, Lethal, right? The way he fucking spins that disc. He's it's gotta so be cool. the guy with the black contacts. Wes Borland. Yeah, of course. Cause he looks so crazy. What's funny is like, I, I like, I didn't listen to any of that stuff, but I legitimately liked that band orgy and that's arguably yeah. a way, a way gayer band to be into. Yeah. <laughs> Well, who's in the I think orgy? They're from Chicago, right? I feel it. Like they at least recorded their albums here. But. <laughs> Is it a band of uh, all guys? It was, yeah, a band of all guys for sure. Yeah. Okay. Hmm. Well, hmm. Jay Gordon, the singer, he was very pretty. The whole band was like they were like kind of a boy band, but with they were like a boy band, new metal, uh, like kind of futuristic electronica band. They're oh like yeah, they did the metal. cover of Blue Monday. Yeah, yeah. People do that, that one on Smule a lot. <laughs> I think actually, now that I'm thinking about the late 90s, it's like if girls had to like boy bands and choose which one they like best, it should have been that guys had to listen to rock bands with women in them and choose their favorite woman in the rock band, right? 
No, I was like, listening everyone should have been uh, listening to like Susie and the Banshees. I was listening to oh, my favorite Susie for sure. I was listening to like uh, Destiny's Child and saying my favorite was Beyonce. <laughs> exactly. That's that's what the culture should have been. Yeah, more men need to pick uh, their favorite woman and be open about it. Like their favorite woman in a band. Who you stan? Oh, you like the Bangles? Who's your favorite woman in it? You know, in the Eminem song "Stan," I stand Stan. I oh, thought wow. he actually was pretty reasonable, and Eminem was the one being unreasonable. The woman's name was Dildo, so. <laughs> yeah, that's right. I mean, who wouldn't put her in a trunk? <laughs> that's a he good interpretation that Dido is, is his, his wife. Yeah, that's his actual, that's, that's Eminem in the video, <laughs> writing the letter to Eminem, and then his wife is Dido. Yeah. Yeah, and at the end, they become famous, and they make that song. <laughs> they didn't sample enough of that song in Stan. They did sample the best part of it, though, like, because that song gets really corny after that part. Ooh. Yeah, exactly. It becomes like the super major key part. Like, that's he, true. He actually did a really good job of sampling that. Yeah, actually, it wasn't that bad. If you're going to so, steal like a whole hook, which is lazier than doing like a Kanye sample where you actually work it into the beat in a clever way. If you're going to steal a whole hook, he did it about as good as you could, I think. That's something that always bothers me a little bit, like more than it should when someone samples something and then the sample is good but they don't use enough of the sample like juicy or not juicy by uh, it's the other one. Is it hypnotize? juicy? What, what's the one? Oh, hypnotized. Yeah. That's the one yeah. that samples uh, Herb Alpert and they don't use yeah, the Puff trumpet. Is like, they like, he they does not have very good taste in samples. Like, they paid for like the, a very famous song and they barely used any of it. And it would have been so much better if they had like the, like remember the when he did the, um, the cashmere Godzilla song. <laughs> Like, he's so lazy with his samples. Where Like, he's like the opposite of Kanye, where Kanye in his peak was super creative with how he, like, incorporates a sample. Oh, Donda 2? Yeah. The greatest oh, okay. thing he ever did. <laughs> Every Puff Daddy album's better than the last. He changed his name so many times, people stopped making jokes about it. Have you yeah, noticed that? Right. I didn't even know what to call him right now. I'm, I guess I'm, I'm going to revert back to Puff Daddy. I don't know what he is right now. It's impossible to remember. I guess he's just Sean Combs, but he was Puff Daddy, he was P. Diddy, he was Diddy, he was Puffy. I think he and changed his name used to, to make, Love at one point. People used to make hack jokes about it, but now it's like he's been doing it so long that no one even knows what his current name is, so they can't yeah. do it. So he won. <laughs> just default back to the most famous one. <laughs> people should have made fun of Prince more for using that symbol. Like completely missing the point. Yeah, they'd be like, they should have kept it up though. Like after he went back to Prince, like remember when you changed your name to that symbol, you fucking idiot. Like yeah. not not even understanding the context that it was like despite his label. Yeah, just thinking he was a fucking stupid idiot. <laughs> and he came up with a new letter, and he was like, I want to use this one. This comes after Z. <laughs> um, I'm trying to think what else. Actually, Kurt, maybe we should talk about some of the other ones you've done for E1 because uh, I think that. The Miami song we did, you put a lot of detail into that beat too, with just like all the kind of cartoonish sound effects in the background. Oh yeah, we went fully Looney Tunes on that one. Yeah, that it one was really a, helped take it to the next level. Yeah, it was. Uh, that one was actually like it was like beyond just using Looney Tunes sounds. There was some of that, but it was like we were we were really like just digging it on YouTube like <laughs> for the uh, there was like that the Fred. 
the uh what's his name french stewart the french stewart sample <laughs> french yeah stewart you found reference. a really good one there yeah i just like typed that into youtube see if i could find something and there was like <laughs> that little clip of him saying that was like that was the best part of that song i, I can remember yeah, of, like, of like the of like the joke punchlines <laughs> that one made me laugh the hardest when i found the sample of french stewart saying i think everyone should hear it <laughs> yeah <laughs> i found it's some perfect- great samples for the silly hustle yeah, there are just so um, many sound files on the that little Ableton. John sample. The little kids going, "Yay!" Yeah, it's and the like, boing boing. Um, actually, Alex, I almost, when I was editing an E1 episode more recently than that, I almost DM'd you to ask for the boing sound effect, but I was like, I want to finish this thing now, and I'm not going to wait around. So I was like, Nah, fuck it. But it was one of those YouTube accounts where like the none of the images have pictures; it's just like a speaker. I assume you use it too. It's probably the same one you got that gun sound effect from. I love the, the gun, gun sound, sound effect. effect. I got directly from the Counter Strike um, sample pack. Oh, that's sick! I have every Counter Strike sound. It's just we we almost never use any of them except that Deagle. From like I think the, actually, one of the first um, Counter Strike. Uh yeah yeah, um one of the very earliest E1 episodes we actually used a whole bunch of them. I'm uh, which, it's like in the first twenty episodes of E1 probably, where I think Andrew and Branson are at a Dave and Buster's. And there's like a raid on, like, I don't remember exactly, but I used all of like the counter-terrorist stuff of just like, go, go, go. I think I remember that. Yeah. I only vaguely remember because it's been so long now. Every time you record an episode that has it, you have to put in the CD, navigate to the sounds folder, yeah. <laughs> open up, open up deagle.ogg and then just play yeah, that right. up to the mic <laughs> several times. I got ogs for my ops. Ooh, there we go. Some kind of like gangsta nerdcore song. The problem is they would think it was Og like the gun. So you'd have yeah, to explain it. it. You'd have to say, I got Ogs for my ops and I mean OGG because I, I'm an OG and I don't drink pee. <laughs> Stop saying that bad shit about me. That's my response Man. rap to the disc. You got bars today. Yeah. Stop bullying me. Oh, Kurt, you you live much more in that world of of uh, sample packs. Oh yeah, I'm sure you have Got all kinds of, of arcane knowledge of sample packs than us of just like wizard sounds or whatever. Oh yeah, for sure. I mean, for work, I have to do lots of those. Like, uh, you know, you just kind of have libraries of stuff that you can then you know recontextualize and combine to make. Yeah, it's just kind of like elements, you know. So you have a library of, of like those kind of things. And your work is I making beats for E1. Of course, yeah. <laughs> Full time. <laughs> kind of like thinking back to early E1 episodes right now and using the Counter-Strike samples and stuff. It's like when we started, we we're like, oh, we'll just use only like public domain sounds. And then we so quickly realized it's really funny to just steal licensed intellectual property all the time. And if anyone ever tries to call us out on it, it'll just be good publicity for us. So now we just go so aggressive with it. And we're about to push it to the next level. I think next week's episode actually is going to be our James Bond movie where it's just in the James Bond universe starring James Bond with an all Bond (laughs) soundtrack. Just like, I just love the idea of just stealing intellectual property so aggressively and just shitting all over it, you know? Well, it's just fan fiction for men. Exactly. Yeah. It's fan fiction for men. If you can write a Bond story on fanfic.net, then why can't we dramatize it with the music and the voice acting and everything? We're just giving the people what they want. Well, I, I know who's on the next episode, so you're, you're definitely giving me what I want. 
Oh yeah, you're right. I see what you're saying. Yeah, big big Taylor fan over here. And actually, wait, it might be interesting, Kurt, to hear you go into because you're very good at mixing. Um, just kind of like, I don't know. Are there certain plugins not only for doing? Like, I guess I'm kind of asking for doing the E1 songs. Are there certain plugins or sounds you like lean on the most? Like, I think you use Contact a lot, right? Stuff like that. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I use a lot of native instrument stuff. I mean, it's like nothing, nothing really out of the ordinary or special. It's like I use a lot of native instrument stuff. Like you know, all the samples I use, I house them in battery. You know, yeah. Um, like the slap bass, I have one default slap bass sound that I use pretty much every time I need it, and it's, it comes with Pro Tools. It's like the X band slap bass sound. Oh, funny. Okay. I kind of forget about the Pro Tools stock stuff. Like, I haven't used that myself in ages. Yeah, I only yeah. use Pro Tools for editing podcasts. Yeah, and then well, I use I'm, Ableton for I'm music. Old, so, yeah. And I have so many, <laughs> yeah. like, music plugins that won't work with Ableton, but work with Pro Tools. Oh, funny. Usually it's the other way around. I don't know what it is. Like, I put it in the right folder, and Ableton's VS, VST3 compatible, and they just don't show up. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah. Kurt, I'm in the same boat where it's like Pro Tools is the only thing I learned. And I'm not yeah. going to just relearn shit from scratch when I'm just so used to it. Like, I don't care. Even if I'm missing out on like certain like convenient things, like I don't care anymore. I'm just kind of stuck where I'm at. Yeah. I mean, you know, whatever. It, this is this is a pointless thing to try to convince anyone to switch to whatever DAW they think is best. But um, I mean, for me, yeah, I'm just I'm older. I'm a, I came from like a generation of like, you know, audio production that's like one behind the current one so like i just learned on pro tools and like i know how to use ableton and logic and i just prefer to use pro tools because it's i don't have to think about anything you know it's like you just know the key commands that's the only reason why i use it and yeah. also the the, the uh, like the the actual like wave splicing and, and editing features are a little bit more robust that's that's the only reason why i do it so like when i had to for example edit nine million takes of like everyone's vocals and comp everything together and then tune it and then print all that and then bust all the, you know, it's like all those, all those like kind of like little minor edit things. I can just get it done a lot quicker using yeah. pro tools. You're just used to just super quick macros and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. It makes, I guess kind of the, I think the gist of this gets, gets back to what we were saying about Max Martin of he's using pretty standard, like just straightforward stuff. And to some extent you're doing the same thing of just like, Pro Tools stock plugins, native instrument yeah. stuff, really just yeah. knowing the fundamentals and doing them quickly and executing them rather than like any kind of secret weapon, you know? Yeah. I mean, I'm not, I'm not like, I wouldn't consider myself necessarily like super quick when it comes to like getting to the final product. I can like sketch out a sound pretty quickly or sketch out, a, you know, a general vibe or a skeleton of the song like pretty quickly. But when getting to the, the end product, I'm pretty like meticulous at a certain point when it comes to like, you know, mixing things or whatever. But really what it comes down to, and I, I think that, you know, like if if you kind of want to like, you know, isolate the thing that's special about like Max Martin or Dennis Pop or any of those guys, like the arrangements are, and I don't know how much like they actually had to do with specifically the arrangement. I would imagine it's mostly them though, but like yeah, the arrangement so. is, is, is the thing that's like very strong about those. It's like all of like the, the composite parts, you know, filling out the different uh, duties of like a song, like, you know, 
you, you know, figuring out where there needs to be a melody in like this bass, you know, in this like lower mid range, and then you know where the the voice leading is, and you know how that's spread across all the instruments that are like all doing crazy different things. That's that's like the challenge, you know. That's like the the puzzle. That's like kind of. Uh, you know, th- those guys are definitely really good at that. And so, you know, so I don't know for, th- for this, for this track, at least it was definitely like a fun challenge to kind of like try to uh, try to like, you know, yeah, that's an interesting that, that takeaway. Like I can see that for sure. Although I guess it gets back to what you're saying earlier though, about having a guitar solo, just going underneath the vocals. Like sometimes the, the arrangement is too busy maybe, but yeah, it's really funny. I, you don't I really hear it. That's the thing. Like, when you're listening yeah. to it, it almost sounds like you, you have to look for it to notice the guitar noodling under the vocals because that shit was in actual boy band tracks. I don't think we noticed sure. it then, too. It's just there's just someone shredding over the last chorus. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it, it, it's a super weird move. It's like something that would never happen today. So, yeah, I don't know. I, I just thought that was a kind of like a but cool... Kurt, I agree with you that mm-hmm. like I tend to like dense mixes where it's just more satisfying to have, or especially because you can build to them. I guess like a, a good song to me, you start kind of relatively sparse. And then at some point you need to just kind of like blossom out into a more dense, insane arrangement, you know? Yeah. It's absolutely. Like so satisfying. I, yeah. I, I love that general arc of where it's like kind of a, you know, you have, starting from, from the intro to the final chorus, there's generally, you know, a, it's it, the the line goes up you know what i mean like that's like yeah, the, the energy yeah. ends at like peaks in the final chorus that's always a great formula and then there's like you know that it doesn't it's not a straight line up there's like little dips obviously and there's dropouts and, and things happening in the arrangement but that's generally a great formula uh, yeah. and like it's, all the backstreet boy songs follow that pretty much it's basically like everyone knows it's a good formula so it's one of the most like cliche things but it's easier said than done because there's a million ways to like make it work or like Alex, yeah. I feel like you're you're basically a proponent of that too, of um, something like pastoral scene. It's like the way that you in that song like wait to really give the big hook, and you do like the little instrumental melody of the hook and stuff, and you find all these ways to not really hit it until the end. You know? Yeah, I was being a hook miser. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> I don't know if I would do that today. Actually, like I don't know. I think. I'm definitely a better songwriter now than I was then, and I'm I'm more prolific. Maybe just because I have like a better system now or something. But uh, I don't know if I would do that now. I think I would just hit the chorus right away. Maybe it's because yeah. I have more songs in the bank now that I don't care about. Like I'm not as attached to it, I'm not as attached yeah, to that yeah. big hook. But even on the the couple new ones you've put out, um, there's still like the general arc of having some big payoff at the end. Like I think maybe both of those newer ones, you had like kind of an ending that really just vamps on like big hooks, you know, and like overlapping melodies and stuff. Like it's still kind of what we're talking about. It's a different uh, approach. I know Kurt, you've been doing a bunch of like soundtracks lately. Are you working on anything of your own or are you just kind of like rolling with the soundtracks? Yeah, I mean, I've I've definitely uh, you know I've got a couple like game soundtrack things in the works right now. Doing um, slowly working on a new Ice Choir album when I have nice. time for it. But nice, um, I I actually started like earnestly kind of like arranging and and putting together some of like the very like skeletal demos that I had. So it's like actually shaping up to be a 
a real album at this point, which is cool. Um, I didn't know what really what I was going to do, but I, uh, you know, whatever. I think it's, I think it's going to be a full album now. And then I have like this other thing, which <laughs> was like kind of this like side thing that I, I didn't really take very seriously. I did a, a bunch of songs, a bunch of demos and like kind of, you know, half songs like a few years ago and then never finished any of them. And now I'm like putting, putting a little time in to, uh, to just kind of like polish up those tracks and like maybe just do like a, an EP of that stuff. And that project's called Tensor Timpani. And uh, I released like one track a couple of years ago and just like didn't really do anything with it. But, you know, I think I'm going to do like a full EP or something for that. Cool. Soon. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I mean, you said it yourself, but you're so meticulous that your stuff is so fun to listen to because of, I guess, sort of what we've been talking about of just like, there's so many details and you really put the work into making the mix very, uh, like dense in the best way, you know? Yeah. I mean, I just like, I like there to be a lot of like, you know, I don't know. I could, I could, it's, it's kind of hard to explain, but there's like, the thing that I like is, uh, you know, when there's lots of timbral shifts in music, you know, yeah, lots of switching to different sounds and like, you know, call and response kind of melodies and hock it and stuff like that. That's, that's like what, what appeals to me when I, you know, seek out an interesting song to listen to. Um, so yeah, I I don't know. I guess I just overall, that's like something I enjoy writing, you know, in that kind of, kind of voice as well. So yeah. I think all that stuff is true for for the new stuff that I'm working on. Um, oh yeah. If any of our listeners haven't heard the Ice Choir stuff, you should go listen to it. It's very good. I appreciate that. Designs and rhythm, one of my favorite albums. Yeah, even the music videos too are so meticulous that you had done. Like, is it the Designs and Rhythm title track I'm thinking of, where it's like, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like the, the editing on that is wild, you know. Yeah, yeah, we were we were fortunate to like kind of link up with you know two two very talented um, director editors for for those videos. It's different people, you know, who who worked on those videos. But um, yeah, the designs in rhythm one, um, our friend Valerie did that one, and she's like really a uh, very talented editor. Yeah, it matches the director. music, like yeah. I'm saying, of just the amount of small details that go into it. I'll pay off in like some total, you know? I appreciate that. Yeah. It was, it was a fun one. That was all like hundred percent green screen and just, <laughs> just insane, uh, kind of like low res CGI and, and psychotic like UI text. Yeah. It's great. Yeah. Yeah. If anything, that's something, if people want to spend like three minutes checking something out, that's what they should check out. Just the designs and rhythm video. Appreciate that. Yeah. It's, it's it was a fun one. Well, I guess we did your plugs for you. Unless you have other stuff yeah. you want to plug. <laughs> no, <laughs> unless you have something not. That's... shittier than that that you want to plug. I wanted to plug zero items. Oh, but, okay. Uh, yeah. Okay, no, so forget what we that. just said. Don't listen to any of that stuff. Yeah, don't. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> he doesn't don't want you to. I'll, yeah, you don't have to. I'll just, I'll just put it that way. Oh, okay. Well, that's yeah. very nice of you. Yeah. Well, thanks for coming on. Anytime. Yeah. Yeah. When uh, your new stuff's hey, done, you can come on then too. I would love to. I always love coming on the show. 